Watch Hip Hop Evolution. Biatches. Hello, everyone out there in Geek Fives Nation. This is your pal, Dane Owls, for another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, in which we talk about the latest and greatest professional wrestling news from the last week. I apologize to all of my, uh, you know, uh, listeners uh, that we didn't have a show um, Thursday. I have been sick as a dog all week. That's also for anyone that listens to Monday Suck. Yes, I uh, missed episode. We'll have a new one uh, this next Monday, but... Getting over a cold, um, but I, I'm finally able to talk. There's been a bunch of stuff that happened on wrestling. And because of that, I want to have an episode today. So joining me while we have this crazy snowstorm in Georgia. Um, just kidding about that. Christopher, Brother Ray Patton, how are you doing, sir? Bro, it's like a blizzard out there. It's, it's so fierce, that whole, you know, <laughs> 10 millimeters of snow that's on the ground. Uh, I got to go out later, get my uh, my bread, my milk, my eggs, uh, all, all of all of the uh, all of the food necessary for living. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're feeling better, man. How, outside of being sick, how's your week been? You know, not too bad. A lot of wrestling. A lot of um, oh, I realized on Hulu uh, that they have Daria on there, so I've been watching a lot of episodes of Daria because I was a huge fan of that back in the like Six Seven World. If anyone knows what that is. Um, I'm happy for you because you probably grew up in my generation. But uh, other than that, I've been trying to get better. I will admit that not only am I a little bit cold, but to quote unquote, you know, get my immune system back up, I had a couple shots of tequila before the show. So this, this should be interesting. Are you excited? I'm as excited as I'm ever going to be, Bursive. All right. Well, let's get into the news first. Um, so I, you know, kind of a finalization, Ryan Satin reported on um, uh, WWE Backstage the signing of not only Killer Cross, but out of nowhere, out of left field, uh, Timothy Thatcher, who Killer Cross, we've given a lot of love. We've, we've been talking about this for a little while, but if you guys are wondering about Timothy Thatcher, awesome wrestler. I actually got introduced to him on MLW. But uh, he's best known for his work in Evolve, where he was the longest reigning Evolve champion. He was also, uh, at the same time, the Open Freedom Gate champion. He's worked with MLW, PWG, Progress, Rev Pro, uh, CZW. And he's kind of, he's so old school, he does not go off the top ropes in his matches. Now, I don't know if that's going to change, but NXT still has kind of an old school style, I would say. Um, but he's an aggressive fighter. His matches that I've seen with uh, him and Filthy Tom Lawler, uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr. from MLW were fucking awesome. He's from the U.S., but he has a very a, a history over in European uh, wrestling with Rev Pro and Progress, in which he was a member of basically the same team with Walter or Voltar 
that would become uh, Imperium. So I don't know what they're going to do with him exactly. Apparently, from what I hear, he's winding down in his career, Chris, and he's been a big, you know, uh, in every company that he's gone to, he's been a big teacher as well as performer. So I feel like his perfect fit would be over in the UK scene. Uh, He's definitely, like I said, an old school grappler. He usually doesn't wear any knee pads, any elbow pads, uh, and he's grizzled. He looks very similar to a Chris Benoit, where it's 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 uh he's intimidating. He's got like a like he just looks like someone that's been in a bunch of bar fights. But I'm excited about both signings. Um, Timothy, I kind of uh, next weekend expect to be maybe in the crowd as an announcement. With Killer Cross, I hope they introduce him in a different way, like attacking the shit out of someone. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, are you excited about the two signings uh, to NXT, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we talked uh, a bunch about Killer Cross last week, and I think that's going to be a huge pickup. And there's obviously a ton they can do with him. Timothy Thatcher, and I don't, maybe this is just me, but he kind of reminds me of William Regal uh, in a lot of ways. And I think part of that's the character he Absolutely. plays, but also uh, his uh, in-ring style. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. I, I wonder if they're going to, you know, throw him in Imperium as a, a as another member. I kind of don't want them to do that necessarily, but. Uh, I don't know if he's going to do kind of the William Regal, Regal gimmick and in-ring type style. It would almost be fun to see William Regal be like, I brought this guy in to take you out. You know what I mean? Like against someone, I don't know who you would throw him against, but you could have like William Regal, you know, even as his, uh, which I like that the way he plays the general manager for the most part, but it would be really fun for him to bring in kind of a hired gun or something. Uh, maybe, you know, if you keep the title on Adam, Adam Cole, and, and you want to go that route with the uh, Undisputed Error, maybe he brings in a hired gun, and uh, that would be like a perfect fit for him. But he's an absolute incredible wrestler. I remember him from like Freedom Gate, and, and obviously uh, his work as the Evolved Champion. But I'm really looking forward to Timothy Thatcher, man. That's gonna He's going to have some badass matches. You put him in there with Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate and um, Matt Riddle, all those guys, they're going to light it up, and it's going to be incredible. So I'm looking forward to his debut more than Killer Cross, but I think Killer Cross is more of the kind of guy that like Vince would get behind. But, uh, yeah, either way, I mean, both great signings. It's going to be exciting to see what they do with them for sure. Yeah, Killer Cross, I think, is the uh, gimmick that's desired for the WWE model, even NXT, kind of what you were insinuating. Um, great to work off of. He's a great ring wrestler, but he's got so many different layers that it's like it's hard to compare him to every to anyone, but it's easy to compare him towards a lot of different people. You know, if you wanted to approach him as like an evil ultimate warrior, you could do that. If you wanted him to be kind of like an undertaker like dark presence, you know, more of like a a, a sadistical psycho Sid, you could do that. Um, you know, there's lots of different layers of where to go. He's perfect for that WWE model, I would say, and especially having Sasha Bardot, his girlfriend, as his valet, and him being the toll man that brings the people, you know, gets them ready to bring them to the underworld, if you will, insinuating that he's going to kill them. Uh, kind of Taz-ish, you know. There's lots of layers. Timothy Thatcher, though, is fun for the NXT model, and I love your idea of him and William Regal. William Regal has been coming out frantically, having to deal with all these fucking idiots, getting in fights everywhere. What if he brings in this guy as his fighter to take the title and to bring back wrestling or something like that? We haven't seen Regal as a heel in a long time, so I love that idea. Obviously, 
We could see him in the UK as well. He has a lot of stuff over there that he's already been a part of. So to see him as potentially, you know, Walter says, you've been with me before, join me, and him telling him to fuck off and then leading to something. We know Triple H is very, very high on Ilya Dragunov. We know Shawn Michaels is very high on Jordan Devlin, and they definitely have some other bigger names over in the UK. But Timothy Thatcher is another guy I could see actually having a storyline and taking the UK title off of Walter. So either way they put him, I think, is going to be good, basically. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And um, Timothy Thatcher, I, that's such a great pickup. And for I know for the longest time they had tried to sign him, and he had turned it down. So I'm kind of curious to see what changed. I'm hoping that they have something really good for him to do, and that's kind of what convinced him to join NXT because that contract's been offered before. So, uh, yeah, I would love to see him, obviously, bash heads with Walter. Maybe, uh, like I said, we well, we named, you know, when you were talking about Devlin and earlier I mentioned, like, Bate uh, and, and Pete Dunne, uh, even – NXT UK stuff I think would be absolutely incredible with this guy just feuding with those people but I, I mean my dream would be him and William Regal kind of joining up maybe to defeat an evil I, I and I'm okay with it kind of being a heelish uh, William Regal I just don't want him to be super involved I don't want them to go like full Stephanie McMahon with it but more just yeah. like hey I'm tired of this shit I hired this guy now go kick their ass kind of thing more so than um, <clears throat> you know like Think Seth Triple H. Like, I don't necessarily want that, but, like, you know, you could take shades of that with Timothy Thatcher, especially because that's, like, one of his favorite wrestlers, William Regal. I know his early work was very much a lot like um, Regal's, so I, it, it could be awesome to see those guys do something together. But there's so much they can do with him. That The WWE is just so packed with talent, and that's kind of why me and you get frustrated with uh, – some of the stuff we see on TV because you look at the roster and you're like, Jesus, like how can you have a bad show with these guys? Um, so it's, it, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, man. I think he's a great get and uh killer cross is going to be interesting. I like your idea about, um, is it his girlfriend or his fiance? I can't remember or why. I think it's his girlfriend, right? I, I like the idea of him having a mouthpiece manager, um, and, and just another big guy to add to uh, NXT for Dijakovic and uh, Keith Lee and all those guys to bash against. It's, it's a good signing as well. So I'm, I'm actually excited for both of these. Hopefully they don't just, uh, you know, gaslight them for six months. I would like to see them kind of debut pretty quickly because if you go back and look at how hyped I was for uh, some of the other Evolve stars they pulled up and we're just now seeing them on TV, I hope that's not the case with uh, with these cats. Maybe Mr. Austin Theory, who definitely needs to be in a program against Jordan Devlin for the Cruiserweight title now that they've brought a little more prestige to it, and some of the other guys from Evolve. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 you know, more on the fantasy booking aspect and diving into your concept that I love of Regal kind of using Thatcher, that type of, you know, like you said, not as not as 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 much, but like Triple H and Seth Rollins sort of thing. It'd be great if it ends up with Thatcher and Pete Dumming come or Pete Dunn, I should say, coming to blows, and uh, Mister Fit Finley, who still works, I believe, for the WWE, coming out and uh, backing Pete Dunn, and you have maybe that rivalry, you know, in more of like a present style form. I just want to see, regardless, like you suggested, Pete Dunn and Timothy Thatcher in a match, and I also would like to 
fantasy booking wise. Killer Cross, if they try to maybe match him with Finn Balor and do something like that, I've heard rumors about that. I think that would be very intriguing as well. Any other statements before we move on to the next news item? So I haven't heard the the rumors, but him and Finn Balor is interesting. It, it, more so if you like you were talking about with Psycho Sid, if he comes in almost as a bodyguard type rule or role, because you do have some of these factions in NXT. Um, obviously, with Walter's group and, and Undisputed Error, were they talking about it in that manner, or they were just talking about a straight feud? No, the two of them kind of linking up, uh, not necessarily in a faction, but kind of. Just something. I kind of like what you're going with, with the Psycho Sid, Shawn Michaels kind of comparison. It's heavy. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, if they do something like that, I think that would be awesome. And it makes a lot of sense, like I said, because you have, you know, Undisputed Air and, and you know, Imperium. Did I say that right? Uh, I think so. Walter's group. Um, it's Imperium. If, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to me, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, you, you could easily do something like that. And then you have the built-in storyline where he just gets fed up with his shit. Uh, and destroys, you know, Finn Balor eventually. Uh, very much what we're seeing with Wardlow and, and MJF. I'm, I'm assuming that's the route they're going as well down the, like maybe six months down the line. I'm, I'm thinking that's probably what's going to happen, right? Yeah, I'm wondering maybe if Gargano uh, loses to Finn Balor because of an interaction with Killer Cross next weekend. It's kind of where I'm going with it. Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense. Um, I just didn't know if you were talking about a, a straight feud with them. I was like, ah, I don't know if I. As far as them just going in and like working a, a feud together right off the bat, I, I wouldn't necessarily go that route. Um, but like them linking up and being kind of like a little power unit, or he's like the the enforcer for Finn Balor, makes a lot of sense. Though I I do wish they would just full send uh, full Balor being Goku because that was like my favorite thing in NXT <laughs> in a long time. <laughs> where he's just like, oh, that guy looks strong. I'll fight him. <laughs> we just did more of yeah. that with Finn Balor. It was great. Speaking about Pete Dunne, we need to get a Finn Balor-Pete Dunne match in the future as well. But they are the broserweights, uh, at least him and Matt Riddle, so probably not anytime soon. Anyways, let's get to the next news item. Uh, very weird one, Chris, I'm sure you've heard, but uh, Forbes has reported that at Thursday's Q4 2019 earnings report, Vince McMahon uh, is toying with the WWE and the WWE Network in what he calls a more transformative way to do the pay-per-views in the future. Uh, I don't know if even transformative, I'm assuming it's a word, or maybe it's like global localization where it's like something WWE kind of just put together. I have no idea. But anyways, what he said was, we have a lot of options for the WWE Network uh, monetization. We could continue on as we are now with an enhancement of a tier. We also have an option right now. There's no more better time to exercise the selling of our rights to all the majors who, quite frankly, all the majors are really clamoring for our content. So that could be a significant increase, obviously, in terms of revenue. So this hasn't been established. I just realized when I actually have a cold, I do a worse Vince McMahon impression. That was terrible. I also think that if you said that as Donald <laughs> Trump, it could be a similar-sounding speech, uh, the way that he phrases it. Um, anyways, but so this is this is something that's kind of aggravating as a fan, but also I think a bit intriguing, I would say, Chris. It depends on the route they go in. Um, 
what uh, the assumption is is that this would be the major four pay-per-views, which would be SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, and of course WrestleMania. Um, the network numbers have been down. I don't know how taking those four pay-per-views and putting them elsewhere would help out with the numbers of your network, but one uh, way people were describing it or at least analyzing it was instead of saying them putting these on, you know, Fight TV or or um, any of those type of downloading platforms, uh, you know, it, instead of doing it like that um, and putting the pay-per-views as big four and, and charging a pretty hefty amount like they used to while keeping all the small stuff and takeover and all the content on their network – what if this actually is leading to them selling those big four for cable companies like Fox? You know, you think about the Super Bowl that's on cable, uh, the World Series, all that, where they could get some deal and a certain amount of years. I think Fox, obviously, since they have SmackDown, would be the, the smartest route, but actually display, you know, starting next year, those big four pay-per-views on cable – uh, from getting a big deal or a big chunk from whoever, CBS, NBC, Fox. Uh, that idea in itself is kind of intriguing, and it would not mean that any of us would have to pay extra. Them going to, like, Fightful or, or uh, one of the other, uh, Bleacher Report even, to present the pay-per-views, say having to charge like a UFC event for like 60 bucks, which, by the way, UFC does this model, and a lot of other people, they'll have their package stuff, but then you'll have to charge extra for, you know, ESPN for even, uh, for, for that matter. Well, I, that's actually the same thing. Anyways, trying to wrap it up. Um, it's interesting. I would not want to pay extra for pay-per-views on a different type of platform and then also be getting the network, but I'm a slave to fucking wrestling, so I probably end up will. But that seems like it would kill things. Now, if this is something where it's specific networks on not cable, but like, you know, the local stations to make this like a Super Bowl or, or as, as big in comparison, I'm okay with that. Obviously, because it's free <laughs> and it kind of uh, gives wrestling a little more credentials. Chris, what do you think from all this? So it's a little weird, right? Because this was their highest earning quarter of all time. For WWE, um, but they fired both their presidents. You look at the TV ratings, they're down kind of across the board going back five years. And you have Vince McMahon come out and, and start talking about OTT companies, which is basically your streaming services. So I, I would assume that they're looking at like a UFC model for, like you said, the big four, uh, where you would have to have ESPN Plus, then you can buy the pay-per-view through that for something like WrestleMania. I think that's going to leave a sour taste in a lot of fans' uh, mouths, especially the ones that have stuck around and stuck with this product and haven't fallen off, um, you know, in the past five years. You know, if you've stuck with WWE, you've paid for this network, you've invested your time, money watching this product, um, it's a little bit of an insult to be like, you were getting this for free, or not for free, let's say for nine ninety nine a month, and now we're going to hit you with that nine ninety nine a month and then when WrestleMania rolls around we're gonna hit you with another fifty dollars. Uh that's kinda why I like the well there's multiple reasons why I like the AEW method where it's split to four pay per views a year. One, because you can build your storylines out more and it, and that in itself makes the pay per view better. But uh it also it doesn't feel like they're just jabbing me for money repeatedly. Uh so when you when you go to that model it's really bad. Uh, it, now, what you were saying with Fox, which 
from what I could tell, that's not what they were necessarily aiming for. But you could do something really cool with Fox and make WrestleMania free and then sell your other three big pay-per-views uh, building to Mania if you wanted to do that. Like Because if you look at how much money the Super Bowl generates, if you put something like WrestleMania on free TV, as crazy as this sounds, I would assume that the payoff would be you know astronomical for WWE if Fox is paying for this thing. And a lot more people would watch it and I think you could make a whole day of it. It's in pretty much every house in America. Like you can go out and get an antenna and get Fox. So they do have that in their back pocket if they wanted to pull the trigger on it. My biggest worry is they continue to talk about the tier pricing of the network and what they're going to do there. And it's not their problem. Their problem is creating relatable stars that fans want to see that people care about. um, So that, you know, people actually tune in to watch raw and SmackDown I don't think moving those shows around, and I definitely don't think charging for them or charging more than you already are for them is a way to generate revenue. Because what's going to end up happening for the people that only watch those four shows but keep the network just around for whatever reason, I feel like you kind of lose some of that customer base. And one of the biggest things I think that hurt them in general with, with subscribers is you moved NXT to TV. Maybe you only watch NXT and, you know, you, you don't want to watch any pay-per-views, et cetera, or you go to your friend's house to watch the pay-per-view. I think they lost viewers from that, like people that already had cables. They dropped off the network. So it was an interesting call. The I like that he had to clarify, I think it was like four or five times, that WWE and the XFL are completely separate, which that thing launches today, by the way. We have XFL games happening today. So that I'm going to probably tune in and watch some of that just to see what it looks like. But, uh, yeah, it's just weird. They're down – I think they were at like $46 still, $45, something like that in their stock prices, which if you look over, like we said, like a year and a half ago when they first signed that Fox deal was $100. Um, and the ratings are kind of sitting around for both SmackDown and Raw between $2.2 million and $2.5 million. To, to to throw that out there and be like, hey, we know that you guys are just kind of the fans that <laughs> have always watched WWE, especially when you look at like the demographics and it's mostly the older audience, Generation X, so to speak, that continue to watch the product week after week. Um, but we want you to pay more money to watch this. I, I just think that's kind of shitty and it would piss me off and leave a bad taste in my mouth. Like I'm not paying $60 as opposed to $10 to watch WrestleMania. I'll just either go to someone's house or find some nefarious means to watch that thing. Not that I'm endorsing that. Well, I am. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Whatever you got to do, you got to do anyways. But yeah, I do agree with you. And um, it's going to be interesting to find out which direction they go in and, uh, I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's like, will you be pissing off your fan base uh, even more so? Will that cause, you know, uh, a depletion that you're already experiencing with your network if this does happen? So we'll have to wait and find out um, how this is going to work. But, uh, yeah, that is the new plan, uh, at least going forward, is is maybe doing it the way they're doing it or maybe trying it somewhere else. It's uh, kind of open-ended from what Vince said uh last news item I, before we i have one what were you gonna I, say? I have one quick i have one quick follow-up on that 
I would think that whatever that they are talking about with the network, being the two presidents before that just recently got fired, Barrios, and uh, I can't think of uh, the other one's name right now off the top of my head. But their whole push was the was the WWE network. So I'm wondering if some of these conversations and, and things that Vince is talking about may be the reason they got pushed out because they're completely against it. Um, so I mean, like, well, we the were rumor, kind of looking. The rumor is they wanted the tier system. Really, that was kind of their baby, and Vince didn't was over that concept, and it, this is his idea. Yeah, I, I think that the disagreements on what the network should be and, and how it should be moving forward is the actual reason that they were just fired. Uh, that's uh, based off that call and everything we're seeing coming out of it. And we were kind of looking for reasoning. Um, that seems like that plus SmackDown not doing as well on Fox. Uh, seems like a, a, a definite link to them. Yep. All right. Well, last thing before we get into Raw and SmackDown and go over the highlights of both shows. Uh, there's a UFC fight tonight, Chris. Um, so uh, 247, light heavyweight, John Jones, John Bones Jones is going against Dominic Reyes. Um, or Reyes. Uh, all right. I don't know anything about Dominic. Uh, he is 12-0. John Jones, obviously, he's had one loss, one no contest, but 25 wins. Uh, and is arguably, from many people, the GOAT, uh, the greatest of all time. My question to you, not based off of anything, really, does John Jones stay on route uh, tonight and beat Dominic? I, I'm assuming so. I, I watched some – so I, I didn't know much about Reyes headed, headed into this conversation. So before we had this call, I went back and watched kind of a highlight reel of his entire – like all of his fights – um, and listen to a bunch of his strengths and weaknesses. The one thing is he's coming out and saying he's already he he's already saying like he's basically pointing out the fact that Jones can be beat and he's not the greatest of all time. He's doing the same thing that everyone that fights Bones Jones does. But the fact is is like John Jones I think may be one of the best UFC fighters of all time. Um, and I just. <laughs> It's it's uh, in a lot like Mayweather. I just don't see that this guy is going to beat him. It's kind of just that, just that expectation of well, Jones. Even if he doesn't destroy this guy, I don't see how that Reyes is going to beat him. So we'll see. I mean, I didn't think Conor McGregor was going to basically break a dude's nose with his shoulder (laughs) two or three weeks ago or whatever. So we could be completely surprised, but I mean, like if I had to put money down on this um, and I didn't have to look at it from like, he's going to knock him out in this round. uh, I would pick John, John Jones. To me, this is a warm up fight for something down the line. Um, No offense to Reyes or anything. Obviously could definitely kick my ass, but uh, Bones Jones, like I said, I think he, he may be one of the best of all time. It, the biggest the biggest thing with Jones to me is the asterisks on his career with all the uh I don't want to say substance abuse problems because that sounds like he had like a massive drug problem, but all of the suspensions and things that have happened over his career that I think you could point to it and you know, in baseball or football or anything like that, it would be a huge deal as far as what his legacy is, but in UFC it's it's commonplace, which if you're filthy Tom Lawler, you're like, The fuck, dude? Uh but <laughs> 
Jesus. John Jones, I think he's going to uh, – I don't know. I'm, if I had to pick it, I'm going to say two rounds. Jones catches him, knocks him out. That's going to be my uh, prediction for this fight. How about you, Dane? I'm saying first fucking round, it's over. But that's because I have a lack of knowledge. I've, I've heard Joe Rogan really talk up Dominic. It's just really hard to choose against John Jones. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think this is progressing – uh, getting us forward to the next actual person. I know John Jones and one of my favorite fighters of nowadays. He's been calling out Israel um, Andancia. I always fuck up his last name, but, you know, uh, he's middleweight. But he wants him to move up to light heavyweight, and they've been talking a lot of shit. To me, that's more the money match. I just don't know the light heavyweight division. Um, it's just if you have stars and you have that potential to do something – the way Israel was able to move in the ring and take on Anderson Silva, yes, past his prime. Still, I think that he's beastly. Um, I just don't – like, I don't want to be like fucking uh, Stephen Smith and just say a bunch of dumb bullshit about UFC without a lack of knowledge like he did. Um, but, you know, I don't know Dominic enough. I know John Jones, and he's a monster, and I don't expect this guy to do something, if that makes well, sense. Well, I, I will – I will say the one thing that I loved about Reyes, and it kind of came out of the uh, the face-off. I think it was the weigh-in face-off that they had. They asked him afterwards, and Reyes said, I wasn't intimidated at all. It was interesting. In the face-off, that was the first time I've ever met John in my life or was even near him. We were face-to-face. My heart rate didn't rise at all. I felt at home. The lore of John Jones is a lot bigger than he actually is. He drives this guy. I'm driven by love and passion. So, like, if he somehow knocks out John Jones, let's just say, you got your star. and they can, and they can cut back to this promo. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, you have a new star in the making, right? Because obviously he's a pretty damn good fighter. What is he like, twelve and zero? I want to say. Um, so yep. it's it's interesting, man. And like I said, with UFC, I never thought that I would see someone break a nose, jumping with their shoulder blade like Sagat from Street Fighter Two. Uh, so, you know, with fighting, you never know, man. There's always, it doesn't, it's like the fight in the dog, right? So it, it, just one little thing can catch you. I mean, we've seen crazier things in sports. It's going to be a good fight. I'm excited to see John Jones fight again. I I still think he's probably going to win in two, but yeah, I I love that Reyes promo. So I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, That was the one thing that I noticed out of the buildup to this match and, and basically him just saying like, you know, He's got a big ego, and I I do this because I love it. So it, it I, I kind of like that. I thought that was a cool little added edge. And um, with some of these guys, I feel like UFC needs to do a better job of promoting them, especially some of the uh, – if you're going to get someone like John Jones, I need to know who this fighter is more so than me having to dive down a rabbit hole on YouTube and figure out who they are because, I mean, there's a lot of UFC, and I can't watch all of it, man. Just like wrestling. Oh, absolutely. And I think like WWE, uh, another problem that UFC has is they don't have a lot of stars, you know, and that is something that has to happen even with mixed martial arts. If you don't have guys that people are paying the bucks for, I mean, that's that's an issue. And obviously the, the heyday, if you will, 2006 to 2010, that chunk uh, from UFC, they had a lot of stars and they had a lot of established fighters. And just like WWE, we just got to – I mean, if this guy beats John Jones, 
that's going to make him a star. Uh, and I like his statement. I like his confidence. He just has to back it up, obviously. So we'll have to wait and see. Let's go over some Rotten Smackdown highlights. Um, I, I, I will say, like, the perfect example is, as far as, like, building stars, is what boxing has done with uh, Joshua Wilder and Tyson Fury because everyone wants to see all of those matches all of the time. And it's it's mostly because they're the best heavyweights the world's seen in a long time. But like that Fury Wilder match is people are gonna lose their fucking minds for that thing. Like, I, you know that McGregor match sold like I can't remember what it was. It was like 100, 180 million buys or something ridiculous on ESPN Plus. And I expect that Wilder thing to double it. So like making stars is super important, is what I'm saying. And like when you look at someone like Wilder or Mayweather or Conor McGregor. Yeah, they definitely need to get back there. Uh, and someone beating John Jones would be a huge lift for them. Um, but that also makes it sound like I'm saying it's a work, which I'm not trying to do. No, no, I don't think you are either. Let's talk about stuff that's a little bit workish. All right, so Raw, we had, and like I said, these are the highlights, Chris. If you noticed anything that I don't, you know, uh, shout out just obviously in your little breakdown, mention it. But uh, what I put down was I was really impressed by Randy Orton coming out, getting booed out of the fucking building for about 13 minutes. And, you know, at first he seems like he's going to come off like malicious and then he stops himself. And then like with some sympathy and then he stops himself. And then finally, after a while, he kind of says, screw it. And he fucking puts down the mic and goes in the back. They don't need to go and dive deep into this. I think Randy Orton and Edge's build up to Mania is just as as, as emotionally driven as Cody and MJF's. And it's like you don't have a lot of that in wrestling nowadays. He didn't have to come out and say, like, I hate Edge, blah, 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 blah. I thought it was treated really well. We have Ruby Riot uh, making her return and giving some shape to this fucking shitty-ass scenario involving Rusev and Lana and Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan beat Lana. Lana is not a good wrestler, but now it seems like she has a connection with uh, Morgan's old friend, uh, Ruby Riot. so that's going to be the person that maybe she's managing to continue this feud. If you're going to continue this god-awful feud, put some layers into it, and I like Ruby Riot being that said layer. Uh, We know that Andrade is out for a little while, the U.S. champion. So to extend the feud, um, they brought in Angel Garza, who just lost the Cruiserweight Championship, but is still doing really well in NXT, and now he's on the main product going against his his cousin, Humberto Carrillo. And uh, it looks like Selena Vega might have somewhat of a, you know, a a faction going on, or at least she's going to be managing people. I wish that she was with Angel when he was on NXT to back him up. I don't know exactly what they're going to do from this, or if this is just temporary, but I thought it was a good place. And I liked his match with Rey Mysterio and how he basically took out both guys by doing the hammerlock DDT on the concrete. And, um, Rhea came out, challenged Charlotte Flair. And we'll, we'll talk about the NXT, what happened from that. But, um, it looks like this is actually happening and I'm actually going to, Maybe assume that a, a triple threat will be happening at Mania for that NXT title. And then it looks like we're going to have Ricochet going against Brock Lesnar at the um, Saudi Arabia show. So that is interesting. This could go one of two ways. Brock completely destroys Ricochet, 
which based off of Kofi losing as easily as he has and still pisses me off he hasn't had some type of competitive match with Brock, but or Ricochet, who apparently Paul Heyman is very high on, sees him as the next Rey Mysterio, is trying to push him, and this could be like a match where we can see the speed and flashiness of Ricochet to get him past that hump that he's been trying to go over. Not 100% sure, but those were the big things uh, that I noted that happened on Monday Night Raw. Do you have any comments about any of those things? Yeah, I'll start with uh, Humberto, I guess. I like the idea of this faction that Selena Vega is building up. I like, you know, when Andrade comes back, if Angel Garza is going to be there. I like the idea of this uh, more aggressive Humberto. And I wouldn't even, and WWE probably wouldn't do this because it's WWE, but I wouldn't mind like a dark Humberto where he like dons a mask or something uh, and becomes part of that crew. And then you have like this attack crew of those those characters. Um, I think that would be really, really fun. Humberto is kind of in a weird spot just because of that feud with AJ and how they booked him, but they booked him really strong recently. But as we've noted, uh, like last week, they're not taking the title off Andrade. He's a huge favorite there as far as someone they're going to push in the future. So they're going to protect him. So to me, it, it, it would almost make sense to turn Humberto heel. I would like to see him do something like that. And I think it's easy as just donning a dark masked character, kind of like what you would do in AAA. Um, so I, I find this whole concept of him hammerlock DDTing people on the concrete. Great. My only problem is like, Wednesday Angels on NXT, right? Whereas Andrade is suspended for 30 days. So the suspension of disbelief, uh, I, I probably would have kept him off TV. Uh, the Liv Morgan thing, um, it's just that trope that WWE does where they, they send out this comeback. The fans are hot for it. They're really excited. And then they just immediately turn heel. And a lot of times the baby face is not at that level that it's going to matter. So I kind of feel like that was a bad move on their part, as opposed to just having Ruby come back as a babyface and then put her into something meaningful. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus Ricochet. I, I, if it's me, I book it the same way they did Finn Balor. You just make him look super strong, look like he has a, a shot to win. Have Brock win the match. You have to have Brock win because you're doing Brock versus Drew McIntyre and Brock has to kind of look strong going in, especially if you're going to continue to have Drew do squash matches. Uh, the Charlotte stuff, it's pretty much what you predicted, man. You've been spot on thus far. I, I don't necessarily know that they're going to do a three-way, but uh, everything else you predicted has been spot on with that. So I'm, I'm just going to leave that one to you from now on. When Charlotte conversation happens, it goes directly to you, Dave. I think I hit everything that I wanted to talk about uh, outside of the, the oh, Randy oh, Orton. Orton. That's right. Yeah. So the Orton promo was really good. It was like a master class of how to be a heel. I, I don't think that, I think it was a little long. I will say that, but outside of just it's opening promo and it went a little long, it was very, very good. And I'm kind of like you, I think you could do more as far as showing their history and video packages than him being like, well, he tossed me all the Royal Rumble, and that's why I'm mad. Like, build up that old-school Randy Orton. And uh, by far, like you said, if you look at, like, top feuds in America right now, I mean, Orton versus Edge, 
And then on the other side, you have MJF versus Cody, and those are like two of the top bangers. Yeah, man. And uh, just to let you know, Humberto Carrillo, he used to be Ultimo Ninja, who was a darker, darker character and, uh, you know, wore a mask and everything. So I love the idea of maybe them turning on Ray. And now Selena has Andrade, Ultimo Ninja, and Angel Garza that she manages, kind of her own, like, Keenan family sort of thing. I think that would be a lot of fucking fun. Maybe that's a reason to get Dominic back involved since Ray's going to be, you know, you know, shit out of luck on that concept. But uh, definitely, definitely dig that idea. Um, I, 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 be- I, another part that I love to that idea is that you still have Cain Velasquez, who people are really pumping up with what yes. he's done in the Performance Center. And you have Ray and you have his son, so you could do a three-way match. But also, you could build Selena out of this as not just a manager if you wanted to, because she's working really hard with Aleister Black. I've seen some of the videos of her in-ring work, training with him and stuff. And we've seen her wrestle in the past. Like, she's pretty fucking good. So they could even use that team to help her get escalated to, like, a Becky Lynch level as a heel. And they need something headed into Mania. You can't just have Becky fighting Asuka until Mania. And then not wrestling at her at Mania. You know what I mean? So, like, that could be something very cool that they could do. Yeah, absolutely. SmackDown, last night, a couple of highlights. We started off with um, with The Miz and John Morrison on their little uh, talk show thing called The Dirt Sheet. But on, uh, and basically, this caused a confrontation with The New Day. And... Uh, it all ended up being a brawl when Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler came out and the Usos came out and it was all mayhem. And after they had a match with the Usos and Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler, and this is something I messaged you about. And it's like John Morrison, the Miz, Bobby Roode, Dolph Ziggler, they're all actual good friends. Instead of doing this whole fucking Corbin thing, I think putting the four of them together, uh, you can call them the bumping feeders. But if anyone knows wrestling terms, that's a joke a little bit. Anyways, um, put them together. They kind of like did it for a second and they split it up. I, I just, a lot of those guys, especially Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler, they ain't doing shit. Uh, but I love the New Day and the Usos, how they're still pushing them as the top two tag teams. I think that's really good. So besides that, uh, we're going to have Roman Reigns against Baron Corbin for God knows what the fuck reason at Super Showdown. Uh, and we had Goldberg come out. Uh, and uh, basically kind of called out Bray Wyatt, who interrupted, and made it look like it was going to be King Corbin versus Goldberg, but Bray Wyatt came out and started talking shit a bit in his own, like, Mr. Rogers sort of way, and uh, Goldberg said that Bray was next. I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, I know Goldberg's not going to take the belt. Well, I I hope so, uh, off of Bray, but it just – I'll admit, Bray is the better of the two when it comes to entering wrestling, and he's definitely still someone that's limited. I'll just leave it at that. Goldberg's definitely fucking limited. So it's got to be a short match. I- I'm not 100% sure. Otis got in ready. He got in date shape, and he was he was doing some workout routines in a montage where he went from <laughs> you know doing doing arm curls and then taking a keg of beer and lifting it. It was pretty fucking funny. And the last thing, Carmella beat Naomi, Dana Brooke, and Alexa. Pin Naomi in kind of like a screwy way uh, to challenge Bailey. I'm assuming at the next pay-per-view, I would not think it would be Super Showdown. 
But I think Naomi and Bailey, they're setting for WrestleMania. That's going to be the position of it. But for right now, Carmella looks like she's going to be the person challenging Bailey. So uh, any of those highlights, um, I still can't get Otis out of my head. I love the he's so fucking funny. <laughs> what, what did you think, Chris? I mean, you just went down those highlights, and the highlight of the entire show was Otis, right? So continue to push that guy to the fucking moon. Like, I want to see him in Elimination Chamber. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, give us more Otis. Give the fans what they want. Um, let's see. The the Bailey the Bailey thing with, with Naomi. I just remember that Elimination Chamber's there, and I, I, I kind of think that Sasha just wins at Elimination Chamber and you set up Sasha versus Bailey. To me, that just makes the most sense, especially if Charlotte's going to be going for the NXT title. Uh, so I think that's probably where they're headed with that. I could be wrong, but it just you can build so much off of that. I think Naomi could have a strong showing and then maybe do something afterwards. Um, then again, they could just, and I hate to say this because it's WWE and it does come off as like almost like WWE weird racism. They could just book Naomi like they did Kofi last year, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. But that is something WWE would do, uh, where she's like the last in the elimination chamber and loses, and then they do like a gauntlet or something, and she wins, and then they go to Mania. Like, I I don't think that's very far-fetched at all. You know what I hope happens, and I completely agree with you, is that the next pay-per-view, since Carmella – she beat Naomi in that, that far away, but it seems like Naomi's someone they're still keeping relevant. Carmella and Bailey have their match. If there's any bullshit, whatever, Bailey retains. Then they go to the uh, Elimination Chamber. Like you suggested, have it Sasha wins, beats Bailey, and then do Naomi versus fucking Sasha at WrestleMania. I would way prefer that. And I, I think that's a better match. Af- <laughs> yes, and then you have two African-American women you know, in a fucking main event match, two of the better, honestly, and Bailey can be a part of the storyline leading up to it and maybe cause, like, a feud between her and Sasha afterwards or something. Yeah, I mean, unless they're going to do something weird with Elimination Chamber and move up some of the females that they have in NXT, which I don't think is a bad idea because they have such great talent in NXT that are just kind of stagnant because there's only so many spots you can do on a two-hour show. Um yeah, I could easily see that going the same way, like what you predicted. My my worry is like you can't do it too on the nose, but it's WWE, so I feel like they're just gonna do the same thing. They were like, well, it worked with Kofi, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the same thing with Daniel Bryan that they did with Sami Zayn. Like, is make him the underdog. He'll lose a lot, then we'll give him one big win, and everyone will get behind him. It's like, well, it, Daniel Bryan's a lot different than Sami Zayn. Uh, not anything against El Generico himself. I love El Generico and uh, AKA Sami Zayn, but you you get what I'm saying. You, it, yeah. Not every storyline fits every character. WWE has to get out of the mindset of like, this worked one time, let's just redo it. And, and I know that has a lot to do with the fact that they do five hours of live TV. Well, not five, seven hours of live, or yeah, seven hours of live TV a week plus pay-per-views. They have to get out of the mindset of recycling storylines for some of these people. And I feel like I, I, I can almost guarantee they're going to do that with Naomi in some form. I like your idea of Sasha winning the title 
like maybe Bailey gets eliminated early because at least that's a fresh switch. So if they're listening to that, do that yeah. as opposed to just doing the same the same exact thing because as soon as it happens, if they go that route, people are going to point it out, like immediately point it out, and then it's going to be toxic, and it's just bad for Naomi. It's bad for Bailey. It's just, do something different. Have Sasha win an elimination chamber, and if you want to build a feud between Naomi and, and Sasha, the or glow versus the boss. Naomi, Sure, in Florida, which Naomi's home, home, right? It's in Tampa this year. She's in it from Orlando, right. but yeah, home state. Yeah, so you know, home state. What? Well, WWE home state. So she'll lose anyways. But <laughs> <laughs> she won though beforehand. Remember in Orlando, she actually won in her hometown. They're not gonna do that. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hopefully Sasha comes back solid. I feel like she could hold down that SmackDown brand really well until they can bring some people up from NXT, which NXT is just so stacked right now with female talent, man. It's incredible how stacked they are. Um, I'm trying to think if I missed anything, but I... I uh, oh, Goldberg I got so versus Ray Wyatt and Roman okay. Reigns versus yeah. Aaron Corbin at Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia. So I feel like... Why the hell is – so Reigns is, is fighting Corbin again? Yeah. I thought we ended – I thought it was done. He I made him eat dog too. food. I thought it was done. I was like, okay, cool. They're blowing it off. And I assumed, which makes an ass out of me and you both, I assumed that Reigns would be doing something differently, right? Like they would move him out. Maybe him versus Bray at the Super Showdown or something. I kind of assumed that they were going to go Goldberg versus Baron Corbin because Baron Corbin is just a geek that Goldberg could kill and no one would care. And actually, they would just get behind Goldberg and be hyped about it. When you put Bray in there, now you have to make them both look like – you have to make Bray look like The Undertaker, which is already hard because he's not the fucking Undertaker. And you have to also make Goldberg look like that, like, unstoppable force. So to me, I don't know what you do with this. Like, let's let's this let's would be put it perfect... how it is, man. It's it's if you have Braun Braun Strowman. If it's if you had Brock Lesnar and Undertaker with less skill, basically, <laughs> and you flip one of them for the age. <laughs> yeah, it's man. I I feel like if you flip-flop those matches, it's a lot better because, like, you know, he can have Roman lose and build something up because eventually it's going to come back to Roman. I know they're protecting him because they don't want him to seem over-pushed. Oh, <laughs> fucking noble idea six years later. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> it took them not long to be like, we don't want to over-push Roman. <laughs> Jesus. <Ugh>. Um <laughs> But Goldberg versus Bray is just such a bad match because, like, there's no winner out of that. There's no one that's – it's not going to make either of those people bigger with the fans. If if Bray you wins, think... you're going to turn against the people that are Goldberg fans. And if, if Goldberg wins, they're going to be like, oh, they pushed the old guy, and that's bullshit. So it's like a lose-lose situation. So the only thing I – the only way you get out of this is you just have the Undertaker show up and chokeslam both of them or something at Saudi, and there's no finish. And then you just do a three-way at Mania or something, like which may be what they're doing, 
because I originally thought, thinking, you know, Taker is still signed. So I'm assuming Taker just shows up and interrupts this match. I could be wrong, but if I had to book my way out of this shit, that would be Taker shows up, beats the shit out of both of them, and then you have your WWE guy versus WCW guy versus, like, your new idea of what Undertaker is. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, I don't know. Some part of me thinks that maybe maybe they're actually going to have Goldberg take the title off of Bray to build towards Roman and Goldberg at Mania, maybe involving something with the Undertaker, and then you do those two entities. Here's the thing: I don't want to fucking see that. <laughs> I would rather see Bray and Roman, honestly, because I love the Undertaker. Goldberg's whatever, but. You know, they're the past. It's, it's got to get to this point where I understand you're trying to do marquee matches, but you're holding slots for wrestlers that are that need that. And honestly, Bray and Roman aren't going to get a shine from The Undertaker. They've already done that. They've already been there. Same thing with Goldberg. Even if you do Goldberg versus Roman Reigns, Roman's going to have to hold and carry that match the whole entire time. Someone like an Aleister Black or a Drew McIntyre, they're the ones that could use that type of boost by beating a legend you know it's just it's very silly I'm just wondering where they're going to go from this because I think like most of us it was going to be Goldberg against Baron Corbin like you said and then maybe Reigns and Bray to start off that feud but that's not where they're going any other statements before we move on to NXT I mean I hope if there if anyone from WWE is listening right now they go with the idea of Undertaker interferes and you set up a three-way for the title and the reason I say that is you can have Bray beat one of those guys after they kill each other and everyone comes out looking good as opposed to, yeah. like, you can't just have Bray to demolish Goldberg. You can't. You just had him lose to Undertaker. If you do that, then you don't have – you can't just bring Goldberg back again as a, a superstar in the future. And this is the problem that they've booked themselves into with not making any new stars. They need Goldberg to look strong to bring him back for it to be important. If he's just going to lose every time he shows up, because he just lost Undertaker at the last Saudi show, which that match was a shit show. I'm going to write it off to both those guys, like accidentally concussing each other. Um, I mean, you know, you could have Undertaker get involved and Bray win that way. And then Bray just moves forward. And then you do Undertaker versus Goldberg at Mania, which I think makes sense. But, we got to get over this Baron Corbin Roman Reigns shit. We got it's got to go. It's got to go. It's killing both of them. <laughs> it's uh, which is unfortunate for Roman Reigns because I feel like there's some like put him against Braun Strowman again. But do it. Yeah, they had a great feud. Like that's 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 a good fresh feud we haven't seen in a long time, especially with Braun being more of a baby face now. I think you can do some fun shit with that. Um, I love that idea. I, it's just, it's, I don't know. I, they, they never know what they're going to do with Roman. They're just like, all right, well, we'll fucking put him against Corbin. And the thing is, if you look at like Seth Rollins' fall from grace, it's like booked against Corbin, booked against Corbin, booked against Corbin, booked against Corbin. And he it's kills not, it, man. It's just that. It doesn't have anything to do with Baron Corbin as a performer. So I'm not saying Baron Corbin is terrible or anything. You just can't do the same shit for so long and not over tell and me over an again. actual story. You can't do it. It's going to suck. 
<laughs> if well, you're gonna do it, you have to draw it out like what they did, what they're doing with MJF and Cody Rhodes. Like if you're gonna, well, if you're gonna build it, you can't have them in tag matches and shit. And like, I, all right, I'm done because I'm just gonna rant about that all day. So yeah, let's let's move on to uh, you know you're kind of highlighting the more creative stuff. Uh, and dude, granted, some stuff on Raw and SmackDown, and you know, especially with the Randy Orton Edge stuff, it has gotten better, but there is a lot of flaws still. Stuff that I don't see a lot of flaws in, even if they're competing against each other, they're, they're, NXT and AEW keep on getting better and better, it seems, and I love both shows. Uh, to stay on topic with WWE, let's get through NXT first. Show open with the Broserweights coming to the ring <laughs> on the Broserweights-themed golf cart with the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic trophies and fireworks <laughs> to back them up. Um, Dane, they were interrupted. Dane, did you did you catch what Matt Riddle called it? What did the he call Broser it again? Mobile. The Broser Mobile. <laughs> I love Pete Dunne's facial expressions with all this. Like he just, it reminds me of in the comics the way that Wolverine handles Deadpool when he's just acting like an idiot and he's just like, God damn it, I have to fucking hang out with this guy. But it's great. It's endearing. I love it. <laughs> They're interrupted by the Undisputed Era, and the teams exchange words. Uh, Riddle got obsessed with the fact that Bobby Fish said the word fish. You know, he's like, he's like something about, like, you're going to fry fish, and, he, and Matt Riddle just takes this over. I love, love Bobby's reaction. Like, you know, they had to grab him. He was so angry about it. And he's like, that's not how I meant it. But Matt Riddle gets a chant going on is how much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish. He actually got that fucking over. I don't give a fuck if the reports are that Vince is not happy with Matt Riddle, that this is, keeps on standing back, that after Royal Rumble, they had to have a meeting, basically, because Matt Riddle, once again, after the Rumble, said something about Brock Lesnar and told everyone at NXT, don't fucking do that, basically, on, on, on Twitter. If Vince fucks this up with this dude, he's going to go somewhere else and make money there, so I'm not even worried about it. But let me just say, I love the pairing. I love the opening, and I think the Broserweights are going to take those titles. Chris, what did you feel about the opening? How did you feel? All right. <laughs> I loved it. I love the Broserweights. <laughs> I love – Pete Dunne is, like, extra stoic now, by the way. He's, like, channeling his, like, mid-2000s Benoit face <laughs> whenever he does anything. Um, but I loved that Riddle got him to actually say the chant as well as the fans. That was a fun moment. This is an absolutely incredible opening, and I don't think anyone else in the company could pull it off the way Riddle did, honestly. If you give someone else that same thing, like say you're like Street Profits, you're going to go out and do this, it's not the same. And if Vince can't see that and realize that Matt Riddle's trying to, like, build a match that would make them money by calling out Brock Lesnar on Twitter. I don't know what the fuck to tell you guys. Great. And if they don't want to do anything with him, uh, sure. Send him to AEW. I'm sure that won't backfire or like, let him go to new Japan. That won't be a bad idea for WWE at all. The fuck. So I, yep. I'm on the same page as you. Like if you're not going to, if you're going to just bury him on the main roster and I'm sure riddles seems like a very, very smart guy. Uh, he might be one of the first ones that like they do the NXT call up and he's just like, Nope, we'll see. Yep. Uh, hey, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I'm not worried anywhere 
uh, that that Matt Riddle's going. All right, we had um, we had our first match. Angel Garza went against Isaiah Swerve Scott. Zelina Vega wasn't there, uh, even though he was she was the manager on Monday. I don't know how they're going to work that out, but anyways, Garza pinned Scott with the wing clipper, then said he wants his cruiserweight championship back, and he didn't lose the match when that Jordan Devlin won. So I think that that's going to be probably the next storyline on NXT. I'm glad Angel's getting a bunch of exposure. I think, uh, I think it was Rosh Geary from Wrestling Inc. said that he's a lot of Eddie Guerrero and he's a little bit of Rick Rude, but he's got a hell of a lot of charm, and um, I think that he's going to be potentially a big star. Um, what I was, oh, the next match was Dominic Dijakovic uh, going against Killian Dane. Uh, he actually got him in the feast your eyes. I can't believe how fucking strong this dude is and how agile and, and you know, limber Killian Dane and Dominic and fucking Keith Lee, all their big men can move. Anyways, after the match, Dijakovic and Keith Lee had a stare down on stage. Dijakovic will challenge Lee for the NXT North American Championship at TakeOver Portland this following weekend. Uh, I'll do all the Undisputed Era stuff all at once, Chris, but how do you feel about the Angel Garza match, him calling out for the Cruiserweight Championship, and then Dominic Dijakovic definitively becoming the person to challenge Keith Lee for the NXT North American Championship? So the Angel... He went against Swerve, right? Yes. Okay. So if they have that match five times, they would have had four better matches. Like the the ending was a little fucked up and weird. Um, for yeah, me. that was a weird ending. So I don't know what happened if they were low on time or if they got rushed or whatever. The ending of the match was just seemed super rushed and very weird. Um, I like what they're doing with Angel. I think they need to give him someone he can work with on multiple weeks like he did with Leo Rush. If you know, build him up a little bit more because the stuff he was doing with Leo Rush was absolutely incredible. And I don't know if that's an, a testament to Leo Rush or a testament to him, to be honest. So I want to see those guys clash again at some point in the future. Hopefully they haven't kiboshed that entire feud. But uh, it was weird just seeing him on Wednesday after the events on Monday in Nozalina. So I agree with you on that. So those are my main things about that match. Um, it was a good match. It just seemed rushed at the finish. I think it was like 10 minutes or whatever. So it, it just, I don't know. That that piece of it was a little bothersome. Uh, what was the, the Dijakovic match? Great. Two big hosses beating the shit out of each other. Good to see Killian Dane back. And they did something that AEW needs to do more of which is like, even if it's five seconds, explain why these guys are mad at each other. They did that little uh, performance center clip. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, where they bumped into each other? Like, okay, if, if that's what makes them want to fight each other, then sure, show me that. Give me a reason. Like, fucking Nightmare Collective is broke up, broken up, and Randy Rhodes is out holding Cody's hand <laughs> and being a sweetheart. On the main event, and I have no idea what happened because I didn't watch YouTube. Uh, so, so from that, so from that standpoint, <laughs> I thought that match was was pretty fucking good <laughs> and very good on NXT's part. Uh, I I don't know if I missed anything because we're going through them pretty quick, but um, yeah, that that would be my two things off those matches, and it was we can move forward, I guess. Yeah. Um... 
like I said, I'm, I'm going to save all the segments leading up to Tommaso Ciampa and the Undisputed Era as one. But uh, before we get to that, Mauro Ronaldo hosted a split-screen interview between um, Johnny Gargano and Finn Balor. Gargano made fun of Balor for losing to Bobby Lashley 17 times in a row on Raw and said he'd drive the NXT flag through Balor's heart. Balor said he doesn't have a heart, uh, said that Finn is dead, and at Portland, uh, Gargano will be dealing with the Prince, and it will be Gargano's last match. I thought both guys, great passion. Um, I, I'm i going to be honest with you. This might be biased because I'm a big Finn Balor fan, and I've always found Johnny, Johnny uh, Gargano to be a bit fucking annoying, like his babyface persona. He's gotten hella better on the mic. I hated that he cut off Finn Balor. I hope that wasn't a little bit of him going into business for himself. I would assume that they would have worked that out ahead of time, but it seemed like he was cutting him off before he could even fucking talk. And because of that, maybe it did what it was supposed to do in my head. But actually, no, it doesn't make any sense because Finn Balor's healing this. He's the baby face. Because of that, I want Finn Balor to destroy Johnny Gargano. I love him as a wrestler, but I've always found him to be a little bit of a bitch. So I kind of want to see him get smacked around. I don't know if that's what they were trying to go for, but I thought that both guys brought it because neither one of them, let's be honest, are known for their mic skills as much. What do you think, Chris? Well, I think Finn Balor has been pretty good on the mic overall. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily put his mic skills at the same level as Gargano. Gargano. Gargano is kind of weird. I feel like Ciampa being so great pushed Gargano to a level that he may not be able to withstand um, in a weird way. So the fans are starting to kind of move away from Gargano in a a sense. Am I crazy on this, Dane? No, I think you're right. It's just one of those weird things where it's like if you put anyone against Stone Cold Steve Austin during that time period, he's going to get them over. And I kind of feel that way about Carcano. I think he's a great wrestler. So I don't, it's not about the in-ring ability, but when you start getting into like more of his character and, and kind of how, how things are handled with his promos and, and such, he, he does kind of come off. It, it seems like he would be a really good chicken shit heel. Like if you gave him like the, what the Miz used to do, he's going to be better at it. And like they almost did it promo time. I feel like he would be such a good heel. Um, and maybe that's just me. I know that he's like the perfect, he was the perfect white meat baby face for Tomasa Ciampa, but also Ciampa was just great as being the black heart. And sometimes a great heel can make a great baby face. Right. So they got to figure out what they're doing with him. I love your idea. I hope Ballard just kicks the absolute shit out of him. I kind of felt the same way. So (laughs) I agree with you on that. Like, how dare you cut off the demon while he's speaking, you mother... Anyways, we'll find out. It's still going to be a great match. Uh, Two matches I want to go over before we get to this fucking awesome thing that NXT does with this buildup of these segments leading up to Tommaso Ciampa going at it with the Undisputed Era. But we also have uh, Mercedes Martinez going against uh, Casey Canizaro uh, in a pretty good match. I'm glad to see Casey back. I'm glad to see Mercedes get a good win with the Fisherman Buster, and I'm glad she's part of NXT. We have what I would consider, Chris, probably Tyler, at least from what I've seen, Tyler Breeze's best match, and might have been 
match of the night, especially on NXT. Uh, the Cruiserweight champion, uh, Jordan Devlin, went against Tyler Breeze. Uh, he beat him with the uh, Devin slide, which I really don't like his finisher. It just doesn't look like that effective in actuality from all the fucking crazy shit they were doing. But uh, I just thought it was, it was a damn good match. And, um, yeah, I was really impressed by both dudes. I really, I, I like this side of Tyler Breeze. I kind of want them to keep him and Fandango, like, away from each other. Do them separately. Build them separately. We don't need to see them as a tag team anymore, to me at least. Uh, how'd you like Mercedes Martinez going against Casey Canizaro? And then Devlin against Breeze for the Cruiserweight Championship. So I was almost 100% convinced that Casey Catanzaro had retired. Am I crazy on this? Didn't Wasn't there a statement released that she was leaving wrestling and retiring? She did, um, and apparently she worked whatever out. I don't know if her boyfriend Ricochet had something to do with that, or she just didn't think she was going to be able to, to do it. Like, she wasn't good, which obviously she's fucking athletic as shit, so I think she was being too hard on herself. Yeah, that so the non build up of I think this is the first match I've seen her in in a long time. Maybe I missed some things in between or just forgotten about them. Um, God, Mercedes Martinez is just like does nothing for me. I'm sorry, <laughs> like Casey Catanzaro, she has some real cool shit that she could do. Uh, this match was just weird for me. I like the fisherman buster that Mercedes does as a finisher, though. I think that's pretty dope. Um, outside of that, this match was just there. This is a, a filler match and, and a pretty good show, in my opinion. What about the uh, great match between Devlin and Breeze? So great match. Um, I agree with you 100%. Keep Breeze and Fandango away from each other, mostly because I still feel like they, for whatever reason, they have fucked Fandango left and right since he entered the company. <laughs> He would have been better off, like, if he ended up on Impact before ever being Fandango. Like, he's just saddled with that gimmick. When he came back, when he, when I heard he was coming back to NXT, I was like, all right, now's your chance to reinvent him. New name, new guy, great wrestler, good look. Here's your chance. You can do something differently. And they're like, no, he's just Fandango. He's teaming with, with Tyler Breeze again. I was like, fucking great, I guess. Like, I like that they were able to position themselves out of a shitty gimmick and make it funny and entertaining for the fans, but they shouldn't have to do that much work to be good at wrestling. You know what I mean? Like just book them better. Like fucking fan. His name is fucking Fandango. Like, I don't know if it's a rib, like if Vince figured out you could buy tickets online for movies, (laughs) like, (laughs) It's just – it's always been terrible. He's such a great worker. He's got such a good look, and they fucking ruined this guy. I'll never understand it. So, yes, I hope that they stay very far away from each other. Um, and, I mean, I'm sure Fandango's not mad. He's making that money, that WWE money, so it's like whatever. But I just – you know, he could probably go somewhere and be a huge star if they booked him properly. Uh, maybe not now. I mean, we've had where we're going on like almost ten years of Fandango at this point. So just, who the fuck just knows? Just the amount of praise, like just the amount of praise that Chris Jericho and Edge and Christian say about both those guys, 
especially Edge, man. He was talking one time on, on Edge Christian Podcast with Christian. He's like, both of them remind him of them when they were at that, that, that spot, but they just don't understand how they don't get out of just that saddle with that gimmick because they're great in-ring performers. They're, they're both great on the mic, and they're just kind of comedy, and that's it. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, and I think that's the annoying part is it's they they have a look. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they're terrible. It's not like normal Vince is like, oh, that one guy's kind of chubby or whatever the fuck. I don't understand. I still don't understand how Fandango became Fandango. Do you Fandango's like, like Bobby Roode. Makes no sense. Did he, like, shit on top of that Tyrannosaurus head that Vince had in his office or something as a rib, and now he's forever buried? Is that um, – no, I'll I'll just – <laughs> All jokes aside, this was a this was a good match. Devlin's Devlin's fucking great. I heard Triple H is super high on him. He had an interview where talking about how much he loved Jordan Devlin. And Sean's uh, high on him. Sean's Sean's high on him, and he's uh, been training with him specifically. Triple H apparently is high on both him and Ilya Dragunov. He likes the Russian. I don't know. All right, so what that means is Jordan Devlin, future WWE champion, because Sean's high on him. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. All jokes. Tyler Breeze was guys. great in this match. Tyler Breeze yep. was great in this match. They they just I mean they don't have a whole lot for him to do, but I would rather them have Tyler Breeze than Chris Hero at this point. So if he's just gonna oh, go ahead and bump and feed for people, let's let's do that. I liked how he got angry too, because at the beginning of it, coincidentally, Jordan Devlin did the same thing his mentor did to um to uh, Trent Seven the week before. They were getting the ring, and he goes and gives him a drop kick to the outside and just starts beating the shit out of him. So I like that parallel. I wonder if they're ever going to meet up again because I like the two of them working in the ring together. But um, all right, let's, let's get to the Undisputed Era stuff because this is kind of like the meat of the show outside of the uh, Charlotte stuff. But if we had a first vignette of Undisputed Era bullying strangers backstage while searching for Tommaso Ciampa. Roger Strong used clippers to cut a random guy's hair. Just being dicks, you know. And then at one point, Unspewed Era attacked Kushida backstage. I uh, I got to say, I know that they're heels, but, like, asking him if he understands what they're saying a bunch of times kind of came off like, uh, all right, all right, rub me. Not not the wrong way, but it's a little bit much. I hate how it's always like that with the Japanese wrestlers. And I don't even know if Kushida can, um, you know, speak English because they haven't really shown that, but – I hope, if anything, this is leading to Kushida and either Roderick Strong or even him and Adam Cole. I'd love to see him work with them. Bronson Reed came and was like, what the fuck is this? And, you know, they were like, hey, man, it's cool. Don't worry about it. And he's like, no, man, it's not cool. Roderick Strong comes out of nowhere, needs the guy in the fucking temple. They leave him. Um, and then we have them still looking, Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, comes out of nowhere, takes out all four of them. This causes a brawl. Then the Brozier waves are, are are kind of thrown in there. And William Regal comes out, once again, stressed out, pissed off, because these guys all start fucking brawling all the goddamn time, and says that there's going to be a tag match later on that night with Bobby Fish, um, Kyle O'Reilly, and Adam Cole against the Brozier waves and Tommaso Ciampa. So we have that set up. How'd you like all these segments and then them turning it live? Because I'm assuming the other stuff was pre-taped. Like, how'd you like the segments building towards this brawl that happens with all of them? I thought they were great. They did a, a good job of building some old school heat. Uh, 
the Kushida thing I didn't have as much of a problem with because I feel like that's just going to be like that's building to him and Alex Shelley versus them because that was a match yeah, when they lost awesome. out that well when they lost out of that tournament everyone was like oh man why didn't you do that match first that's exactly i think i said that like two weeks ago or whatever i was like if you're gonna do one do undisputed air versus time splitters and if you can bring shelly in like you could do that so hopefully that's where they're going i think that would be great like they definitely should do that um yeah, I you know, just being shitbag heels, thought they played it really, really well. I didn't think they laid the Kushida stuff on too hard. I mean, it wasn't – I get what you're saying, but, like, as someone who's watched WWF a long time, this was not Val Venus choppy choppy pee-pee kind of level shit. So <laughs> I didn't have as much of a problem with it. And to answer your question, Kushida, uh, he speaks a little English, but not very much. And there is a great – if you guys want to listen to – some really cool new Japan stories and some dojo training. He's also was a mixed martial artist. Um, there's a wrestling observer interview with Kushida and Dave Meltzer. That's great. So definitely check that out. But uh, overall, this was fucking great and led to a good match, man. I, I love this last match. Uh, not necessarily the finish of it, but I, I love the match itself and kind of the build to it. Yep, before we get to that match, uh, let's talk about the uh, segment where um, we had Bianca Belair calling out Rhea Ripley about challenging Charlotte Flair and overlooking her completely. Charlotte Flair came out and answered instead, followed by Ripley. Uh, Belair and Ripley decided to put difference aside and beat up Flair as they are NXT. So it's still a unit, and they went and they took her. It was kind of an awkward, like it looked like it was a double um, electric um, chair maneuvering, but still effective. I just love Bianca Belair. I love the interaction with Charlotte. I love that Charlotte puts her over and says that she's very impressive, but, you know, we're not worried about you. You're, you're someone on the outside. And Bianca, just her putting her hand and the way that Bianca reacted towards it, great acting. I love Bianca Belair, and I love her saying, you don't even go here. Like, because it's true. It's like, bitch, what the fuck are you doing in NXT? Like, you're not even here. This is not even, you know, relevant. And just the insults pissed off Rhea, who, you know, that might not be like that with SmackDown and Raw, but they're a unit still in NXT. They're, they're still a family. So that pissed her off. I love the three of them. I hope that they, like I said, I don't know if it's going to happen. I think some tomfoolery is going to happen at at, uh, at at TakeOver, and potentially we're going to have Charlotte versus Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley for the NXT Championship at WrestleMania. It might not happen, but I'm just saying my track record's not bad yet, so we'll just keep on going with that. How'd you like this uh, promo? How'd you like Bianca Belair, Charlotte, and Rhea? Bianca Belair is so fucking underrated. So, she's so great, dude. There's just, she has a presence about her, and she's really, really great in the ring. Um, Charlotte, I don't think this accomplished what they wanted to as far as making NXT get a huge pop. I think they put it kind of in a weird place on the show, um, for at least for viewers that are flipping back and forth as opposed to putting it very last. I thought this would be like the last segment of the show with Charlotte showing up, similar to what they did with Becky. They didn't go that route. Uh, it's fine for people that watched it afterwards, but like, you know, if you have the wrestling fan that's like, I'm going to flip back and forth and watch the things that I like between both shows. 
I think I would have maybe put Charlotte on last and did this after the uh, after the Champa stuff. But for for what it was, I thought it was really good. I'm excited for Charlotte versus Rhea. I don't necessarily want another three way at WrestleMania, but there is a debate that could be made that that could be even a better match. Um, and I hate trios matches, so or, or three way matches, I should say. So, I, I, you know what? I'm just going to rely on your instinct of booking Charlotte Flair because you've been pretty spot on thus far. <laughs> Dane, if you think it's a three-way, it's going to be a three-way at Mania. I hope there's three ladies' championship matches, and it's Becky and Shayna Baszler, and like we talked about, Sasha and Naomi, and then a three-way between these three ladies for the other one. Um, let's uh, let's move on to the last match, though. Um, what was I going to say? So we, this is the accumulation of all those that build up. These guys started fighting again, talking about the undisputed era, Tommaso Ciampa and the Brozerweights. On the way to the fucking ring, they finally get the thing started, and it was a damn good match, uh, back and forth. And uh, Ciampa, Riddle, and uh, Dunn won because of Roderick Strong getting involved. He interfered, which is what we all thought was going to fucking happen. Um. And, uh, you know, mayhem happens. And then, after the match, we, we saw 2-5-20 throughout the night on the background. It comes out again because the Undisputed Era were, were going to take spray paint a yellow X on Ciampa's back. We have 2-5-20 come out. Lights go out. And Velveteen Dream is on the turnbuckle. And he has, like, this glow-in-the-dark ink on him. Lights go up. Uh, now, I will say I love the Velveteen Dream, but you can tell he hasn't been there that often because he had more problems trying to get his pants off himself or the pants underneath displaying a, uh, a basically a uh, kind of hitting on uh, Roderick Strong's wife, uh, Marina Shafir, um, just old school style, Rick Root style like he usually does it. But he couldn't get the fucking pants out of his, his boots. So before that, he's throwing punches. They're not even fucking connecting. Everyone's going down. It was kind of sloppy. But regardless, we know what Velveteen Dream can do. And Velveteen Dream is back. The Dream is back. So I'm very fucking excited about that. And I love the visual, though, when the camera cut and all of a sudden he was on the turnbuckle. He's got all this glow-in-the-dark shit. Lights go up, and then he just starts going crazy. I just wish it was a little bit more fluid. Um, And I got to call out. For what it was, but at the end of it, it still made sense. It looks like he's going to try to get his redemption against Roderick Strong at um, at Portland. So that will be the progression of Velveteen Dream. Hopefully, afterwards, getting in the title picture, because that's what I would like to see. Whether they have the men's heavyweight title at the Takeover the night before Mania, or if they have it on Mania like the women's title, I'm not sure how they're going to do it this year. But uh, regardless, Velveteen Dream needs to be fucking involved in that, and he probably needs to win it. How'd you feel about the uh, the match and then the ending with the dream? Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and say this because AEW got buried for this shit with weak ass punches and shit looking very sloppy. Um, with what, what the what the hell is the name of the group? Evil Uno's group. They got buried for this three weeks ago. This was terrible. Like, not the match itself, but, like, his comeback. And I love Velveteen Dream. I know he's a great wrestler, and he'll be fine after this. If this was the introduction of a person, though, 
this is like up there with Shockmaster, like bad, in my opinion. Like this is one of those things that will show up maybe like after he hits it big, and then like ten years later they'll be like, remember that time he can't rip his pants off <laughs> and had to try to like he tried to do a Luthez press, but like the pants were stretched around his ankles. He's like trying to throw elbows on someone. It was bad, dude. Like this was fucking bad. Look, if you're a WWE fan that was shitting on <laughs> Evil Uno's group with the, with the jobbers that were throwing punches against the Young Bucks, this was just as bad. So, as much as I praise Felteen Dream, and I don't know if they were rushed, if they like put this they were like we're just fuck it we'll do it live we're just gonna do it tonight and they had no talk about what was going on at all maybe he was nervous i have no idea i am it was a cluster from the second he jumped off that top rope it became a clusterfuck now what i will say is i liked i liked adam cole spraying the giant x on um champa's back matt riddle was great he was just tossing motherfuckers all over the place which is always awesome um, I mean, it was a good match. I just, man, that's the way you bring back Velveteen Dream. Why not just do it in the Rumble? Have him hit like a huge elbow drop yeah. on Brock or something and el- maybe eliminate someone as opposed. I mean, I get doing this. He has a feud with the Undisputed Era, but hey, that was rough, well, man. Like, you that know, was... if he wasn't so worried about his pants coming off, I think it would have been fine. But he had to get that fucking Marina Shafir call out. No one gave a fuck. I'm sorry. When it comes down, you coming back, we want to see you in there whooping people's asses, not doing fucking crap punches and then worrying about your pants getting ripped off and then that causing more of a problem. Also, the pants getting ripped off thing, it seems like – God, I hate to say this, but it seems like Vince did watch some NXT and he was like, why don't we give Velveteen the pants gimmick? Oh. From Angel, well, like I hope that is not the case, but it did seem very like the whole idea. Like, okay, so the girlfriend thing, like you're talking about, the idea of Elvin Dream is that he's this androgynous, like ladies' man, kind of like Prince. Like the idea is that he's Prince, essentially. So even doing that spot doesn't make sense to me because it diverts from what makes that character so great, and so it has this uh, mystique around it. So, uh, whatever. I mean, it was just, it, just even if it doesn't matter who this was, it was shit. Like it could have been Stone Cold Steve Austin, and what happened in that ring what? looked like that. It would be dog shit. Like that was really bad. And I hate to bury yeah. my boy Velveteen. I still think he's an absolute superstar. But that shit at the end of the show. If you switched over from AEW because that was a run over before Miz and Misses or whatever, man. That's a that that would be a rough watch. Yeah, but then again, maybe people don't analyze it as much as me and you do, and they just would have been hyped up because of that. But I noticed that immediately. Um, let's. Uh, I want to go over the card for Portland. I'm not. I don't want to do. You know, I just want to tell you what the card is so far, and just get your evaluation. Uh, next Thursday, we'll go. You know, into each match, and uh, give our predictions for it. But uh, so far, it looks like we're gonna have six. Potentially seven matches now that Velveteen Dream came back. So I'm going to assume Velveteen Dream, Roger Strong might be added to this. But as of right now, Keith Lee against Dominic Dijakovic, and they've had so many fucking good matches for the NXT North American Championship, 
We have Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox in a street fight. We have Adam Cole and Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT Championship. The Undisputed Era, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly against the Broserweights, Matt, uh, Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne for the NXT Tag Team Champions. Finn Balor going against Johnny Gargano and Rhea Ripley against Bianca Belair for the NXT Women's Championship. Is this one hell of a fucking... I mean, they're like this every time, but one hell of a takeover card, Chris. Yeah, man. I think this is going to be such a great card so far. I hope they add a little bit to it, but, man, I have no... I have nothing negative to say about this. I think they've done a really great job, like, building this card, building these feuds. NXT is awesome. I feel like they need to... My biggest thing about NXT is they've came they, they they're they're going the New Japan route of like we're just going to give you wrestling every week and I love that and maybe they're starting to go away from it a little bit with Matt Riddle but they uh, and this week I think was a good example where they tried to build uh, around more segments and I'm not saying they need a million segments but I think they need to continue doing what they did on Wednesday. Um, because that would be that to me. That's the big difference week to week between AEW and NXT is the kind of the segments and the way that they build stars. Um, sometimes certain weeks on NXT just seems like here's some matches. They're going to be good, but here's some matches. Like the Dusty Rhodes stuff, I think was not the best uh, for them in the way that they did it. Yep, I, I agree with you. Like I said, next year just do it as one fucking thing. Um, but yeah, love the wrestling on it. And one other place I love wrestling is at AEW Dynamite, their competition. And we started off Dynamite with a match with John Moxley going against Ortiz. We had Chris Jericho and the rest of the members of the, the, I was about to say the Undisputed Era, the Inner Circle, uh, going to commentary and pretty good back and forth match. You got two wacky guys like Moxley and Ortiz just beating the living hell out of each other. Uh, of course, Moxley won with a paradigm shift. Afterwards, Santana tried to attack Moxley, but got hit by a paradigm shift himself. Moxley then grabbed the keys to the car that he got, or I don't know if he stole it because it was in his name, but the one he got from Jericho, and uh, took the key and punched, um, whatchamacallit, Santana in the face, screwing up his eye, and then dished it into the crowd. Um Kind of heelish, but pretty awesome because that's John Moxley and he doesn't give a fuck. And, you know, he's taken on two legends back-to-back. And we'll talk a little bit more about his match that's going to be tonight with Minoru Suzuki. But him and Jericho, eye for an eye. Thought it was uh, pretty cool. And I, I like the match. Uh, How did you like this opening match, Chris? Sorry, Chris? Uh... My, oh, my, yeah, sorry, my phone my phone muted a little bit there. I thought it was great, man. Oh, I love LAX so much. Or what Pride and Powerful, or are we just calling him Santana, uh, Santana, Santana and Ortiz now? What are, what are we going by with this tag team name? Pride and just, Powerful, I guess. LAX okay, is easier so, to say. Man, I love that he's going back to the uh, the Furpo hairstyle like he had on the cruise. Fucking great. The cat. The cat gimmick was in full force. Him and Moxley had this great spot where he does – he did the tire call scratch, and Moxley just looked at him with, like, 
did you really just do that and just chop the shit out of them? It's so great. I love that spot. I know it's like a very small thing, um, but it's so great. They they kind of did something on the cruise like that with Luchasaurus where he did the claws and Lucha just headbutted him in the chest and he kicked this huge bump. Um, it's just a great spot, man. I LAX is awesome. They're easily working my way into the in my favorite tag team. But I love, once again, everyone's out there. They could easily went and attacked Moxley. He could have been easily outsmarted, right? Nope. Takes the keys to the eyes. It's just great. They're just booking Moxley so perfect. He doesn't come off like a dumbass baby face. Like 90% of the time you see, like Kevin Owens, for instance, he's just constantly getting his ass kicked. Doesn't matter. He finds a partner, they get injured, he just gets his ass kicked. He tries to do something smart, just gets his ass kicked. It's like over and over a repeated thing. John Moxley, he just outsmarts them. He stole their fucking car, <laughs> right? He kicked their ass with a baseball bat last week, Sting style. And this week, he took out one guy's eye. And then it builds to a match. And you get this great Ortiz promo, which they, they need to show on the show, by the way, because this came out on Twitter, where he's like, you're going to know what it feels like to walk in the dark is a great promo. Go check it out. LAX is fucking awesome. Inner Circle is awesome. Moxley is awesome. This was a great hot opening segment. The, the match itself was really good. It, this, this show started off with a fucking banger. Let's go with that. I completely agree. We had a pretty good tag team match uh, next. Uh, SCU uh, went against the best friends. After the match, the Dark Order attacked SCU, who beat the best friends, and offered Orange Cassidy a match. Uh, Cassidy put his hands in his pockets, so they attacked him. Christopher Daniels made the save, and the Dark Order backed away instead of attacking him. I'm telling you, Chris, I like the tag match. But this keeps on making me think that Christopher Daniels is inevitably going to be that guy. They're trying to play off the concept that he was supposed to be the the leader, you know, back in the day of uh, whatchamacallit, the ministry, corporate, whatever the fuck it was. And then they decided to do Vince last minute because Vince didn't see him as someone that could, you know, be that character or whatnot. So he's going to end up being the leader of these. Maybe I'm wrong. It just seems like it's too obvious. But uh, either way, I love Orange Cassidy. I think that what they, what, how they, how they use him, I think is perfect. Especially since he's like, I don't give a fuck. He puts his hands in his pocket, and then they kick the shit out of him. So there is a great spot. Um, I was watching it through Fight. So throughout the commercials, you can hear commentary and and whatnot. And all the guys that dies to the outside, and they're all laid out. And then you have Orange Cassidy that just decides to sit down and, and lay between uh, the best friends. And Chucky e. T, like, you know, is looking at him like, what the fuck, man? Like, what are you doing? And he's just laying there with his hands in his pockets while everyone else is getting up. It's just, just funny stuff, man. That that's When they use him uh, for comedy, uh, I think that they, they, they pick up the right spots for it. But uh, do you think Christopher Daniels is inevitably going to be the guy in charge of the Dark Order? I do, and I feel like they ruined it, um, specifically Excalibur's commentary. It, it reminds me of – if you go back, and everyone remembers like Hogan turning heel, but if you listen to Bobby Heenan's commentary beforehand, you know it's coming because he says, well, whose side is he on? And it's like before he ever like had a question, <laughs> like not being part of uh, 
not being part of Sting's crew during that match against the Outsiders. So it's just, it, to me, that Excalibur commentary towards the end of that, it was like, it definitely pointed to it being Christopher Daniels. And then the crowd started chanting Fallen, or Fallen Angel. So hopefully, and just the fact that he wasn't out there with his team, the whole thing is like, they're like the fabulous Freebirds, right? They all come out together like the New Day. It just points to it being him. I hope they swerve us and save it, and it's like Matt Hardy. I really do yeah. think it it's – I mean, and if that's what they're doing, this is fucking brilliant. But that being said, if you have to throw someone in there – and we talked about this last week a lot. Um, you know, Christopher Daniels as the fallen angel kind of being the guy and getting into singles competition again and, and seeing some of these – like. For instance, uh, Christopher Daniels versus Kenny Omega, or Christopher Daniels versus the Bastard Pack. Um, I mean, there's some good ass matches you can get out People of that. People forget, Christopher man. Daniels is phenomenal. Out of the generation of wrestlers, with 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 WWE, the biggest ones were like Brock Lesnar, John Cena, obviously, uh, Randy Orton, Edge. But when you went to TNA for the other ones, it was AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Abyss, and Christopher Daniels. So it's like I would like to see his stocks raise even if he goes in a heel direction because he is one of the legends from that time period that's kind of now a manager most of the time, you know? Yeah. It, it's – man, it's so hard. Like Christopher Daniels, obviously, his body's a little broken down because he's older than a lot of these. I think he's older than yeah. AJ, right? I, I think, think he broke in as, before uh, AJ. Um, but like, man, if you go back to Ring of Honor with him and AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and, and, and the shit he did on Impact in the X Division with Homicide and uh, God, dude, Christopher Daniels, absolute monster, has been on our show before. Great interview, really good guy, huge comic fan. Yep. Um, if you're gonna say like, if you're like, we need one good match from you, Christopher Daniels against the Bastard Pack, I bet it'll be the best match on the show. He's just only been doing tag stuff. But if you're going to give him a match, like really highlight his shit, and you're going to give him like 15, 20 minutes, I, he easily a show stealer. Christopher Daniels is fucking incredible and would be a good addition to the Dark Order if they want to go that route. I guess in my mind, I just always hoped because it, they've, they, they've done it so goofy, you know what I mean, that it just makes sense to be like Matt Hardy and kind of fit what they were going for, especially with like the – the human chair and some of the promo videos and stuff that they've done. It just, it, it feels more like they were going for the Matt Hardy thing. Whereas like the fallen angel, Chris, the heel Christopher Daniels was not that he's almost like a uh, murderous badass, as opposed to like a, uh, we're going to start this weird Bray Wyatt cult or uh party family cult. I agree, man. It's those two guys that I feel like, you know, it's one or the other. So we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to see, but I am liking uh, you know, toying with either one uh as the leader. <laughs> Real quick before we move on, what what if it's both? So what if like Christopher Daniels is like whatever they're calling their leader, but then he the has exalted a one? Yeah. So like what if there's one above the exalted one? So it's like a corporation with the way that they film those commercials. Yes. <laughs> so, I like that. Uh, what, I, I do want to give one shout out to uh, the. They did like a um, 
syndrome, like, you know, like, you know how drug commercials give you the list of all the things that will happen to you or whatever. They did one of those with the Dark Order, and, like, I was kind of paying attention, but I was flipping back and forth. And I was like, is this a drug commercial? And at the very end, it's like, join the Dark Order. And I was like, oh, man, they've gotten really good with this shit. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right, so here's something I don't know if they're getting really good with. Uh, I I have mixed feelings about the match with Britt Baker and uh, Yuka Sakazaki. Uh, we saw Yuka. This is her first time on Dynamite. She officially signed with the company. She was in the Battle Royal beforehand. Um, I don't know, man. It's it, I have nothing against uh, Yoshi wrestlers, uh, these female wrestlers coming out of Japan, because I love – Oscar, I love Carrie Sane, I love uh, Io Shirai, but a lot of the ones that they just choose, I don't know. It's 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 maybe it's the fact that with with NXT for WWE, they get to show them that style, and now it's kind of like they're just throwing these girls into something like this. But uh, the match was 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 fine. Uh, I don't understand if you're trying to build Britt Baker up as this heel now. Why the fuck she gets a loss in this match with someone that's just now premiering as a single star? So she got a roll up, turned off, or because Britt Baker had her in the lockjaw, uh, and then afterwards she attacked her. She made her bite the rope, and then she hit her in the back of the head, and then gave her the lockjaw after uh, Yuka showed that what looked like one of her teeth fell out. She was bleeding in her mouth. I'm not saying that was that was not well done. It w- it was fine. I just don't know why you have Britt Baker lose in the fucking match. She could have done the exact same thing and came off more like a heel and gotten more heat. It just made her look stupid. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that they do in the women's division that really confuses shit out of me. Uh, Chris, how'd you feel about this match? This match kind of seemed thrown together, and I think maybe some of it has to do with the fact that. They did the angle with Awesome Kong, and they broke up the Nightmare Collective or something. Like, I, I, it just feels like the women's division had to shift or something. Um, Yuka went 1,000 miles an hour and botched, like, six spots at the very beginning of the match, which makes it yep. kind of hard to like. Um, Excalibur, the best part of this match <laughs> was on commentary. He's talking about, like, Excalibur, which, by the way, Jim, right off the bat, he, she comes out. And Jim Ross says to Excalibur, why don't you tell us a little bit about her? <laughs> Which was fucking great because everyone complains about them not explaining, you know, someone you haven't seen or, or whatever, maybe on TV, because I think she was only in the Battle Royal, right? So <laughs> Jim Ross hits him with that immediately. And then he asked him to explain what, like, the magic is. And she's like, well, like, you know, she wears genie pants and, like, she – her he doesn't say her ring moves are magical or anything he gives us like long explanation and then tony Schiavone's like i always had a thing from the girl from i dream of genie or something which was great and then there's another spot where uh uh suka tries to do like a she does a dive and it's just like a, a normal dive it's it's actually from the apron down so it wasn't even like a springboard or anything i don't think and uh Excalibur goes full Mario Ronaldo, and this is kind of why I, I would love to see Jim Ross and Mario Ronaldo together because they could maybe level each other out. But he like yells, "That's the magic girl splash!" And Jim Ross is like, "You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen." 
<laughs> Not just uh, a splash, God. but a by God magic girl splash. And I know he wasn't trying to be a dick, but in his head, he was completely being a dick. He was like, the magic girl splash, like, <laughs> we're getting a little out here with the name. So the, by far, if you love <laughs> Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, <laughs> definitely check out this match for the commentary. If you like good wrestling, don't check out this match. As far as them building Britt as a heel and the kind of the shit they did after, I thought was great. The match itself was just really sloppy. And and on this one, I can't blame this on Britt Baker. They It just... It, I don't know if it's a weird clash of styles or whatever, but to me, Yuka just came out like a thousand miles an hour, like right off the bat, and they just see like a lot of the shit at the beginning of the match just got super flubbed. Um, it is weird that she lost, but like I said, I, I don't, I mean, she got really good heat, and maybe they're going to save it for down the line. I have no idea. Like maybe Rio is going to stand up for her fellow Japanese wrestlers. So I, we'll, we'll see how it I just out. don't know why she lost though. Why would they have fucking uh, Yuka roll her up and get a pin over her? That just doesn't make a goddamn I mean, because sense to me. We'll see. This is where what – this is the problem with saying that wins and losses matter to some extent, Right is because when you have a roll-up win, that win should matter. It should be super important. But in this situation, they're not going to do anything with the person that got the win. The idea is that because she murdered her, someone is going to come to her defense. And I'm, I'm assuming it's probably Emmy. Um, I can't think of her last name right now. The, the, the trainer of most of the stardom wrestlers, she does the Freddie Mercury gimmick. She's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, she's I think it's great. Emmy Sakazura or, or something. Or yeah. Is that correct is it sakura i don't know it doesn't in general i i don't have her name in front of me so and i i don't want to slaughter it by trying to pronounce it in my head but uh anyways i feel like that's next maybe she stands up for the students and then you have like a line of of these females getting ripped apart and you just build like a hatred match more than brit going for a championship which i i think is fine and, and maybe that leads to, like, Chris Statlander or something down the line. But it seems like if I was booking it and I did this finish, that seems like where it would be going, where she's just taking out these Japanese wrestlers until it builds to a boiling point where you have Rio have to uh, take care of business. Or even even maybe you bring in the big hall, Saja Kong, again or something like that. So I think there's cool stuff. Oh, I forgot about her. It's a, it's a little weird. Yeah, you forgot about it because instead of doing Aja Kong versus Awesome Kong, they did Nightmare Collective, which is like, what the fuck? A shitty, shitty emo band name from back in the day. Well, apparently that's not it anymore. They decided to ditch that whole entire thing. So, uh, anyways, let's get to the next match: The Butcher, the Blade, the Candlestick Maker. I'm just kidding. The Butcher, the Blade, and the Lucha Bros won against the Elite. Hangman uh, Adam Page refused to tag out, uh, specifically with the fucking Young Bucks throughout the whole thing, leading to get him hit with a package pile driver, uh, top rope double stomp combination from the Lucha Bros, and pinned Pentagon. So we have another thing later on where, where the Young Bucks were basically just like, what the hell, man? And he was drinking, and they kind of alluded to the fact that it's because he's drinking all the time. Uh, like I said... Whatever, I'm sure they'll they'll go in a proper direction with that. But it's like I said, it's 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 adding a lot more layers to Adam Page. More importantly, though, after the match, Pac appeared on the video screen and threatened to attack Rio if Kane didn't uh, agree to face him. 
uh, Omega accepted immediately, and Pac was like, wait, 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 you thought I was going to attack her? No, 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 I wouldn't hit a woman. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a monster, but I'm not a beast. Cue Nyla Rose, who took Rio, attacked the shit out of her, and attempted to powerbomb her through the table, but Rio was so tiny that she basically bounced off the motherfucker. It was pretty crazy. It'll be Rio versus Nyla Rose for the Women's Championship next week, and we have another match with Pac and Kenny Omega uh, for the pay-per-view that's coming up. So uh, how did you feel about the match? How did you feel about Adam Page? What happened afterwards with him and the Bucks? And then Kenny versus Pac and Rio taking a table bump from Miss Nyla Rose. Week after week, I want the Young Bucks to turn heel. I really do. I, I thought I, I, I thought that Adam Page heel turn was inevitable, but the fans are really getting behind Adam Page, and he's been so great. And then if you look at the match style, if you if you look at it from the mindset of what wrestling was in the 80s and 90s, and you see the Young Bucks kind of showing off and doing all their hands, like as Jim Cornette, doing their jazz hands, or whatever the hell Jim Cornette says. When you look at it from that perspective, he's completely opposite, and it does kind of make them look like cocky assholes. And so when you get the situation where he had this chance to tag in one of the Young Bucks, and he's like, nah, I'll just do it myself. It was, while it was kind of heelish, it's also for at least a subset of the fans, something that I think that they attach to, like him being more of the old school brawler, kind of the, um, well, I don't want to call him a brawler. He's not, he definitely has, he's not like Moxley, for instance. Um, more of that old school, like the Terry Funk, I'm just, fuck it, I'll just fight on myself kind of vibe. The uh, um, Stan Hansen, right? Like that that kind of vibe. And I think the fans are drawn to this, man. The cowboy shit chants were loud. I think he was probably the one of the most over people on the entire show. I guess my biggest thing is like the idea that he's supposed to be turning heel. <laughs> and the more beer he drinks, the closer he gets to becoming a baby face. When the young bucks come out later and they take his little, he's like, I think we know what the problem is. And they take like his cup of beer away and he just has a pitcher and drinks it. And the fans popped for that, so I don't, I don't know where they go with this because you can't just have this guy, you can't turn him heel now. You finally gave him a personality the fans are attached to. I, I it's just a weird. But the match itself was really, really good. There was a lot of really cool spots, um, and they actually utilized the tag ropes. It kind of broke down in the middle a little bit. And there's one thing that I will say, and I don't know if this is like a shoot or not. But if you go back and you watch Adam Page, the entire time he grabs the tag rope, the actual rope that's hung from the turnbuckle, when he's looking for a tag, he would walk over and grab the actual rope and stand there. And if you are one of those people that get pissed off about them not doing enough tags, like me and Dane, it was really funny to see Adam Page do that and kind of be a dick about it. Um, so if you didn't notice that Dane, definitely go back and check it out. I love this match. I thought it was great. I love Adam Page. I love where they're going with him. And I also love that Kenny kind of stood up for his teammate a little bit. He was like, Hey man, like we we're the tag champions. So I hope this is like the breakdown of the elite. To me, it just makes more sense for like the young bucks to turn heel than it does Kenny and, and Adam Page. But what the fuck do I know? How'd you like the after part with Pac uh, 
having Nyla Rose take out Rio and setting up a 30-minute Iron Man match three weeks from now with Kenny Omega. I I think that's great. I it's So the thing with Rio is like they need to establish what the relationship is because him being so defensive over her and putting her over so much makes it seem like they're in a relationship. Like maybe like a te- they need to describe that they're teacher student or something like that so it doesn't just come off kind of weird on screen, I guess. Um but yeah, as far as the match goes, 30 minute Iron Man match announced 2 weeks from now. Good job AEW. Like that's a, that's a way to get fans to come back and watch your fucking show. Like that they they announced like matches um for the next 3 weeks this show, which is something WWE never does because Vince rewrites the fucking shows. Um so props on AEW for that. I'm going to watch the shit out of that match. It's going to be amazing. All right, so we have and I'm definitely looking forward to that too, by the way. Uh, let's let's get through this thing. Kasabian had a match against Joey Janela. He beat him because of shenanigans involved with Penelope Ford, um, and he got rolled up with tights. So that's going to probably prolong this. Chris Jericho says he's coming for John Moxley next week. Uh, we know that a match was set up with him and Santana. Uh, we're going to have Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against M- M- or SCU. And like I said, in three weeks we're going to have Omega and Pac in a 30-minute Iron Man match. Uh, the biggest thing, though, let's talk about the ending. MJF comes out. Cody comes out. MJF says he doesn't want to screw up his belt, so he demands Cody's belt. And we have these lashes. Now, I got to admit, before, I was kind of, and I messaged you, Chris, I was like, this seems like it's going to be, like, it could be taken the wrong way. You know, they could talk about this on the media in a very negative perspective. Old school wrestling thing. I actually think that they pulled it off well. I will say that since we just saw Daniel Bryan get the fuck whipped out of him at the Royal Rumble from Ray Wyatt, it kind of took maybe a little bit of the steam, and I'm assuming WWE was purposely doing that. Uh, But either way, the whole concept of MJF doing these 10 lashes with the leather belt, Cody acting like a badass for the first one, and then it just gets worse and worse. Um, The Young Bucks come out to try to give him support. Arn Anderson tries to give him support. Dustin asks if he can take the remaining five to his back. MJF won't do that. Great heel tactic. Brandy Rhodes, who, like I said, apparently they are abandoning the Nightmare Collective from what Dave Metzler said, So, uh, or that's what he's heard at least. Uh, but she came out there and gave him the strength to take uh, number 10. I like how he let um, Wardlow do it, and Wardlow just fucking completely destroyed his back with one of them. And just to be a dick at the end, he does it, uh, MJF does it on the dream tattoo and then kicks him in the balls and gets through the crowd and gets the hell out of there with Wardlow and Supreme heel stuff. My Lord, I, you know, I've compared him, I've compared Cody and how he's presenting himself to some of his favorites, like his father, who I'm sure has had stuff like this happen, but like more importantly, like Sting, but I never saw Sting take 10 fucking lashes. It was pretty brutal. And, uh, yeah, I thought a pretty good segment. We're getting very soon, in Atlanta, actually, Wardlow and Cody in a steel cage. Already gave you my ideas involving Arn Anderson getting his leg broken. I love the storyline going forward. Outside of Edge and Randy Orton, this is the other big feud to me. And I love Jericho. And um, as much as I love Jericho and Moxley, and as much as I love Tommaso Ciampa and Adam Cole and certain other directions, 
this this was great. Uh, what'd you think about it, Chris? Man, there were so many great parts of this entire segment. Uh, I, it, overall, it was an incredible wrestling kind of moment and built to a feud. I like, you know, you get the three the three strap whips and the Cody sells and he's really broken. He's like, this hurts like a motherfucker. I like that MJF made Cody take his belt off to use as opposed to MJF using his own belt because he's like, I'm not fucking breaking my leather across your back, dog. This is a, a Louis Vuitton belt or whatever the hell it was. Uh, I thought that was kind of great. I like that Dustin, his brother, came out seeing how much pain he was in and kind of the embarrassment and asking to take those licks and MJF being like, no, nah, that's not how this works, dog. I like that on like, what was it, eight? There was two left. Brandy comes out, holds Cody's hand. Cody's like crying, bawling from the pain. And she's like, you got this. And gets up and he takes the two last licks. And then to finish it off, MJF just kicks him directly in the balls and splits town, which is great. Such a scumbag-ass heel move. Dude, MJF is incredible in this role. I want to know what it's like when he starts working with other people. I know he was really good as a heel in um, MLW, so I'm excited to see what's going to happen after this feud is done. But this feud could easily last like a year if they wanted it to. Um, and you could also do Wardlow versus MJF if you wanted to. This is great. This is what wrestling is supposed to be. It's the same thing I said about the Edge segment. You're supposed to have an emotion about a character. You're supposed to care about what's happening. And it's supposed to make you want to see the baby face kick the shit out of the scumbag heel. Because if you watch this and you're like, oh, I thought that was funny, the MJF won, then you're just terrible or was an asshole. <laughs> you're just a terrible person. <laughs> you should come out of this Agreed. wanting to see Cody Rhodes take this motherfucker's head off, which is what wrestling is supposed to do. And, and that's why you get behind good baby faces. I love this. I loved every part of this. Um, it went a little long, in my opinion, between – the strap hits, but outside of that, I thought I thought they did a good job of building emotion. I don't like the plants attacking MJF. If that's not an actual fan, don't do that because you're gonna start getting people just actually doing that shit, and that's scary. And I, that happened in WCW. They did that, and then people actually started doing it. So they need to get the fuck away from that shit. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. All right, so just to wrap it up, uh, ratings. Uh, both shows were up. Uh, AEW uh, was up. 100,000, uh, it's 928,000 people watching it. Uh, NXT was up 58,000 to 770,000 uh, total. And uh, Dynamite dropped from uh, third place to 11th place overall. And NXT went up a little bit from 37th to 34th. So, yes, NXT is taking a, a hit, but both shows are doing well for the programming. And I just think that this will increase and increase and both shows give us great wrestling. Let's wrap this up. There's two matches tonight. It's the new beginning in Osaka. Uh, Chris, really quick, uh, who do you think is going to win between John Moxley and Minoru Suzuki for the IWGP United States Championship, and then Tetsuya Naito and Kenta for the heavyweight and the Intercontinental IWGP Championship? And I'll say goodbye to everyone, too. Give me a quick I think it's too soon. I think it's too soon to take it off NATO. I think he retains. Um, I also think that Suzuki wins the title tonight. I think that's going to be a big spoiler. 
um, for a rematch down the line. But I, I, I could see him winning the title because I don't know what Moxley's contract looks like. Everyone, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Enjoy wrestling. Watch that, that Bones Jones fight later. And also, if you like hockey, check out Skates the Throats. And uh, as always, Geek Vibes Nation and Spotify, all that good shit. We're, we're all over the place. Yep, you can find us, geekvibesnation.com, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then also look us up, Wrestling Geeks Alliance, on any of your audio platforms like iTunes, like Spotify, like we said. Have a great night, and peace out. Let the Geek Vibes be with you. You guys have a good one. And that's the bottom line. Just don't go set up.